0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll pick up at verse 8. And read through 13. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as as we give our attention to this, your word, that you would make us like little children longing for milk. Father, I pray that we we would be nourished again by the work of your word preached and the application of it to our hearts by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I have it as one of my ambitions to um, restore the diaconate to an office of dignity, because the um, the office of deacon has fallen out of favor in the church today. I came across an article by a an, an 19th century Charlestonian Presbyterian, John Girardot, that in 1881 lacked, or, um, lamented the lack of deacons in the church during his age. Uh, the article uh, is entitled, you know, Wonderfully, The Importance of the Office of Deacon. And he, in the article he asked, is it not the fact too in our own church that in many cases the presbyter, the elder, performs the offices which the scriptures attach to the deacon, and in this way, uh, and in this way, functions which the word of God disjoins and pronounces incompatible are brought together upon the same person and merged into one another, right? So he's he's saying the elders are taking on the burden of what should be the what God made the office of the diaconate for. They're taking on the burdens of that. Um, there were no deacons, so the duties of the diaconate fell upon the elders. Today there's a, m- a movement by feminist Presbyterians to open the office of deacon to women. A Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, which was formerly led by Tim Keller, stopped ordaining men to the office of elder, or the office of deacon. Excuse me, office of deacon, so that so that they could have a an a a board of what they call deacs, um comprised of unordained men and women working together doing the diaconal work of the church. Uh, the recent decision by the uh, General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America shows again that that hard times have have uh, have fallen on the diaconate. They were uh, a a committee was was told to look into the question of whether the church has has gotten the exclusively male view of the church office wrong for the past two thousand years. Uh, I often pe- hear people say that the eldership is a spiritual office, but the diaconate is a service office. And not spiritual. Um, but this is, that's not the understanding of our Constitution or the understanding of Scripture um, that we see from this passage. Though there undoubtedly are differences between the offices of elder and deacon, the elders oversee the spiritual lives of the congregation while the deacons oversee the physical needs of the congregation. They are both spiritual offices. Ordained and ordered by, God's, by God himself and by his word, right? And they are both very necessary for the health of the church and her ministry. They're both important offices. Uh, one is not more important than the other because of their different tasks. The work needs to be done. Different men are called to different tasks and different callings are given to different men. What is the task of the diaconate? We, we, and I mean the Reformed Church, has understood this task to be the care of the poor. The care of the poor. Um, Of course, today no no one will admit they're poor. No one will admit they even need help. But this is what it's been understood, the care of the poor, both administering the the funds that are collected uh, for the poor and the actual care for the poor. Um, The passage uh, Calvin taught, Calvin Calvin taught that Romans um, chapter 12 verse 8 defines the different duties of officers. And the passage reads, you'll remember, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives in his liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And he said that he who gives and he who shows mercies distinguish two grades of deacons. He who gives, he who shows mercy, two grades of deacons, deacons who distribute alms or offerings and deacons who devoted themselves to the care of the poor and the sick. Uh, That's in the Institutes. Whether or not there are two grades of deacons is arguable. But certainly, Calvin's summary is a good summary of the duties of the deacons. Um, They have the responsibility for the church's care for the poor and the sick. Um, This duty is laid out for us in scriptures in Acts 6. In Acts 6, we read this, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So widows weren't getting fed. Those in need were not getting what they needed. So the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, Now listen to what they say. It's not good, well, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's not good at us as apostles, those called to the ministry of the word, to forsake the ministry of the word in order to serve and care for the poor, in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of that task. But we will devote ourselves. To prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there's some distinctions getting laid out here in this passage, right? There are going to be men, these seven men called up to serve the poor so that the apostles can continue devoting themselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Right, ordination, laying hands on and praying. So there we see that the care of the widows, poor widows in need of food, was taking the overseers, the apostles, away from the duties of, of preaching and prayer. So the apostles... Reason that it's not good and that there needs to be men set apart, ordained for the purpose of ministering to the physical needs of the body. Um, These men were selected from the membership of the church, had a good reputation, were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then were called upon to be put in charge of the task so the apostles would then be free to do what God had called them to. Uh, These were the first deacons. Those seven names listed there of the first seven deacons, Um, godly men, men, not ordinary men, but men filled with the spirit and filled with wisdom. Our book of church order puts the task of the deacons in this way, and I find it helpful. The office is one of sympathy and service, sympathy and service. After the example of the Lord Jesus, it expresses also the communion of saints, especially in their helping one another in time of need. It is the duty of the deacons, it goes on to say, to minister to those who are in need, to the sick. And then it says this, to the friendless. And to any who may be in distress. It is their duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church, to devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and distribute these gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. And so that the, the deacons are to, to be friends to the friendless. What a sweet gift to the church when someone is called and set apart simply to be a friend to the friendless. They are to stir up the church, to give liberally, to help brothers and sisters through offerings. And, and then they actually do the help. Right? They do the ministering. They do the applying of the bandages or the, the carrying of the, the washer and dryer up the staircase. right? They do that helping. This, and this is no insignificant task in the church only a called man who has been ordained and given the authority of ordination should take on the task of the diaconate. Because their work tends to deal with the physical well-being of the people of the church does not mean that it is not a spiritual office with no requirements for her work. There is discernment That is necessary for this office. There's a level of compassion beyond the ordinary Christian's compassion that is necessary to the office of deacon. There is great reward for the man who serves well in this office. So it's no no joke, it's it's no superficial addendum um, that the scripture lays out intense qualifications for the office of deacon. The office requires a man to excel in godliness, just as the elder is called to excel in godliness. Likewise, the passage says. Um, the deacon is to be a man that exhibits that the gospel works, that he is a changed man. Right, so notice, notice that, that the Apostle Paul's word, likewise, likewise. Right, he's gone through the list of the qualifications for elder, and then he says, likewise, deacons likewise these things. Um, many of these qualifications are similar to those of the elder. There is a huge amount of overlap here. What they hold in common, and I'm not going to elaborate on what they hold in common because I've already explained what they mean in the last three sermons, but what they hold in common is this, a one-woman man, In other words, he must be faithful to his one wife. Um, Secondly, he too must be a good ruler of his household, uh, his children and his wife and his servants. He must love them, he must protect them, he must teach them, he must, yes, discipline them for the purpose of godliness. Um, Though notice what is not connected to that statement as it was with the elder in verse 5. There's no statement to the deacon that how he manages his household is an indication of how he will manage the church. Because his task is not to manage the church in the sense of the elders, right? But it is to serve the church and her people who are in need, okay? And then third, what they have in common, like the elder, he is not to be given to drunkenness. He must not be in bondage to... Wine and strong drink. Fourth, what they hold in common, he is also to be beyond reproach, as it says in verse 10, which again does not mean sinless, but which means he controls himself in such a manner that there are no obviously disqualifying or scandalous characteristics to him that everybody sees. Um, In a sense, he's blameless. Um, Fifth, what they hold in common, whereas the elder was told to be free from the love of money, the deacon is told not to be fond of sordid gain. Uh, He must, the deacon must have a right relationship with money. Now, what different qualifications do do men called to the diaconate need to meet? First, it says they are men of dignity or dignified. I think another way to say that would be to say they're honorable men. They're worthy of honor. They're not the sort of men who draw attention to themselves by what they wear and by the style of their beards. Right? They're not the sort of men who tell nasty jokes or who are never serious. They're, the, they're men worthy of respect. They're dignified. They're honorable. Right? You You simply... Um, you, don't, you don't simply elect the men you respect to the elder board and then put the men who are less respectful b- but, but who have a servant's heart on the deacon board. Um, both boards are to be filled with men who are dignified, who are honorable, who are worthy of respect, no less the deacon board than the elder board. Now, then we get three negatives in the passage. First, the deacon must not be double-tongued or given to double-speak. Be another way to put that. He is not to be given to much wine and he's not to be fond of sort of gain. I think all three of those stand together and can be summarized this way. He's not self-centered. He is not self-centered. Think about it. Those given to double-speak Those given to doublespeak will make you tear your hair out of your head. Um, Your children are given to doublespeak, and they make you want to tear your hair out of your head, right? Those given to doublespeak do so in order to influence and win people to their side, right? Whoever they are with at the moment, they will give them what they need to hear in order to win them to themselves, those given to much wine feel they've earned a few moments to check out and get their buzz on. And finally, those who are fond of sordid gain will go to any length to fill their own bank accounts with money. Right? The deacon cannot be a man who is given to pleasing himself. And, and this is obvious because of the work he will, you know, he will be called to engage in as a deacon. He's to care for the poor and the needy and the sick and stir up the church to generosity. He's to care, I mean, the selfish man is not going to give himself to that kind of work. He will instead use the authority he's given to please himself, to manipulate others, to feel smug and self-satisfied, to satisfy his own lusts, to fill his own pockets with the goods and money of the church. And such a, such a man lacks the compassion needed to minister to the needs of the others, to others. How can, a t- how can a double-tongued man comfort the sick? He doesn't know how to use words with any genuine intent. How can a man given to wine comfort those in pain? Right? Should he suggest what he uses to kill the pain? How can the man who is, is fond of sordid gain make sure the needs of the poor are met? Everybody, to him, is just a source of income, a source of further sordid gain. And so it's quite obvious how these these characteristics relate to the particular office of deacon and how a man who fails in these areas will be not not cut out for the tasks that he's called to. We now learn in verse 9 that the deacon is to be a man who holds to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This, This to me is part of the qualifications that signify he is a man in which the gospel has worked. In other words, not only does he believe in the doctrines of Scripture, but he uh, does so in such a way that his his conscience is clear in the way he lives his life. He's a man who seeks to live according to the ethical demands of, of God's Word, according to God's orders. He's a man who lives... Um, his faith in such a way that he has a clear or a clean conscience, and when he does not have a clean conscience, he's been short with his wife and children. He's been coveting someone's money, or wife, or home. He's he's been angry in his heart towards someone. Well, he he is not one who allows himself to stay in that mode. His conscience afflicts him. He's quick to repent. He works for the peace of a clear conscience because he loves God. He loves the Lord. He loves his Father in in heaven because he rejoices in the forgiveness of sins that God has given him in Christ because he doesn't just coast through life. He's not a cultural Christian who doesn't connect obedience and love for God. He desires to obey and follow Jesus. He's trusting in Jesus, but also wanting to be like Jesus. That's what I'd call a a real Christian. Not just a deacon, but just a Christian. Right? He takes sin seriously and lives as if as if God is watching and God is a father to him. Why does Paul say the mystery of the faith? Um, Because the faith and the things of God are hidden. From the unregenerate man. It's very simple. Uh, they are the things they are things that are apprehended spiritually. So these things, though mysterious to those who do not know God, are revealed to the believer. The mystery of the faith means that the faith must be revealed, right? And God does, does that revealing work when he gives someone his spirit, birthing him again, illumining his mind to spiritual truths. So Uh, In a sense, we could summarize this phrase in verse verse 9, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, as the deacon truly believes, and proof of that belief is that he lives his faith. He lives his faith. Do you grieve, for all of us, do you grieve when your life doesn't match your profession? Does that grieve you? Does it does that ever happen to you? Um it should. You know, if it doesn't, I fear that there's no life in you. Uh, that that never grieve, you know, that there's no there doesn't seem to be any time where you feel out of odds. Do you ever get home from work and say, "Boy, I just was not a good witness today at work." I just flopped. Do you ever grieve the way you hate other drivers? You know, do you ever do you ever feel the weight of hypocrisy with your own children? Telling them one thing and then being unwilling to live that way yourself. Oh! If you don't feel that every minute. Would you stop yelling all the time? <laughs> You yell at the top of your lungs. Is your conscience active? Um, do you live your life in the fear of God? Or do you simply coast, I am what I am. I'm going to be what I've been. Right? The Christian has a conscience formed by the word of God. He rejoices in self-examination because he hates sin and desires to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. The false brother simply coasts. Right, simply has no pangs of conscience and and very, very little need for repentance. Then the Apostle Paul writes, These men also first must be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. These men are to be put to the test, examined with reference to the things the Apostle Paul has mentioned. Of course, the main premise of the whole chapter has been that a man's life must be appraised. And appraised not only by himself, but by the congregation where he would serve. But here, these deacons are to be tested in a specific way, though the specific way is not laid out. This verse is what motivated the session's decision to have deacon helpers. Right? These men are being tested, being examined, being asked to accomplish some work that they might be rightly appraised by themselves and by the leadership and by the church. Um, <clears throat> now, that's not always the way that we test a man to see if he is cut out for the offices of the church. Sometimes we ask a man simply to lead a ministry will he take the initiative? Will he lead it with some command and zeal? Will he drop the ball? Right, sometimes it's to ask a man to accompany you on some hard task. Right, a meeting with somebody over coffee. That's awful. Right, with a a debriefing afterwards to check the other man's discernment or understanding of what just happened. Sometimes it's to ask a man to teach or exhort the members of the church. Will he be pastoral? Will he be clear? Will he be submissive to the session's vision for the church? Will he be compelling? Sometimes it's simply to observe observe a man with his wife and his children. You know... or it's to test him and his relationship to his wife, right? Sometimes it's to rebuke a man for sins and simply challenge him to step up. How does he respond? Is he defensive? Is he thankful? Is he angry? Is he um, undignified and proud? Sometimes it's to ask a man to go after somebody else, to disciple somebody Is he committed? Does he follow through? Does he do the work? Now, you you may think I'm crazy, but this essentially is the work of the elders. Push people to make progress in the faith. Right? Sometimes it involves, yes, examining a man for office, but sometimes it's just provoking a man to live for God. Right? To grow in the faith. Um. What the elders do is very intentional when it comes to this. There should be no mystery. There should be no mystery in any church, right? You can likely know that when you have been asked to do something, there are two things going on. One, there's work that needs to get done, pure and simple. And two, the elders are testing you. And if you are not being asked to do things, do do the honest self-examination of working out why that might be the case. What is it about you? What are my sins that cause others to avoid giving me opportunity? Okay, it's good for you to be tested. Don't ever despise the test. It's for your building up. It's for your good. It's for the life of the body. Right, It's good, and this is an aspect of the work of the eldership. But deacons are to be men who have had some sort of test that displays for themselves and for others that they are qualified for office. At the end of the testing, is a man blameless, or is he just a jumbled mess of passive-aggressive discontentment? Today, we're going to skip verse 11. I'll come back to that next week, and I'll give you a whole sermon on it. So then, skipping down to verse 12, he picks up again the requirements of men who would occupy the office of deacon, husbands of one wife, we've covered that, good managers of their children and their own households, we've covered that. Finally, notice verse 13. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We've been working through qualifications for the office and they've been pounding us, right? They've been hitting us. Then it ends with this encouragement for men who have been serving and this incentive for those who haven't but desire to. The very statement should make every young man, well, every man, desire to be a deacon. right? The elder gets pounded in ways by the work. So in a sense, he has to weather many storms. But the work of the diaconate gives a man high standing and great confidence in the faith. right? It gives him great joy. It, it builds up his faith in God After assisting those who need help, right? After going out and and delivering meals, after helping somebody physically through something, after visiting somebody in the hospital, he praises God for God's good provision and feels, I mean, honestly feels like he could take out Mike Tyson in the ring. Built up, encouraged by God in the faith as he sees the sufferings of others being relieved, right? And, and, and others recognize his authority as he wields that authority in godliness, that, that authority to ministered to physical needs. Right? Calvin writes, and if a man behave himself faithfully in his office and show plainly that his greatest care is to serve God and to do his duty with a good conscience, There is no doubt, but the very wicked ones will be abashed at such a man and will honor him. Even the wicked will honor a a deacon who serves with a clear conscience. We we only think that elders and pastors have authority in the church, and it's just not the right view. The, The qualifications listed here the call for godly men and this promise show you the great authority that deacons have within the church. And so it's, it's, it's one of the joys of my life. I mean, I, I like going to deacons meetings. I don't like going to elder board meetings. And that's not because of the men I serve with. It's because of the nature of the work. Right? It's because of the nature of the work. And so it's it's one of the joys of my life to see men who are called to office faithfully execute that office and in many ways become more of a stability, more of an influence in the church than the pastors and elders. In every good church there are officers, elders and deacons who have served well and can therefore serve even better because they have this confidence that Paul speaks about here. And so may God bless us with more and more of this standing, this confidence of men who have been tested and served as deacons in the church for the relieving of all of our suffering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our deacons. We thank you for the men who have served in that position. We thank you for the kindness and care that they have demonstrated. We thank you that their wives have come along their sides and have shown great compassion to the women and the families of this church. Father, we pray that you would raise up more men to serve in the diaconate and that they would see it for what it is, which is, yes, great responsibility, but also wonderful honor to serve your body and to minister to their needs. Father, fill fill the men here who would aspire to that office with your spirit and with wisdom.